Thank you, ladies. You can sit down. Happy Monday. <laughs> that was beautiful. Thank you. Um, I don't know about you, but I had one of those kinds of Mondays today. Um, I, I was running late um, in the morning from my office into the classroom, and then I walked into the classroom, and I had a projector blow up in the middle of my class. Fortunately, it didn't start a fire or anything scary like that. It was just a pivot kind of day, and I was like, okay, it's going to be that kind of Monday. So hopefully you didn't have that kind of Monday, but I did. Um, but I think I was just really excited when that happened because I knew, oh, our WOW Bible study is going to be great tonight. <laughs> That's all I was thinking the whole time. But um, I'm so excited to be here with all you ladies and so excited to share um, what God has put on my heart about Abigail. And I don't know about you, but as you were reading on her or studying her, if you did the homework, it was so hard. Like I kept telling Kim all week, I don't know what to say because there's so much to say about Abigail. And I think um, Debbie was sharing the same sentiments before she was telling me. But yes, yeah, so there's so much to say about Abigail, so much to learn from. Um, and hopefully uh, we all leave learning something we didn't already know about this um, sweet, powerful woman of encouragement. So um, I'm going to lead us in prayer again as we get into the word, and then we'll get started in our study. So Lord, Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We love you. We thank you for bringing us here tonight. And we just pray, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, you would touch each of our hearts, God, and that we would look upon you and just know your goodness tonight in a special way through this woman, through this story. And we thank you, God, that you teach us, you grow us, and you guide us in all ways, and that your word is so specific. It is living, it's alive, and it's powerful, and it ministers to each one of us in our lives. So I pray that you would do that tonight, God, that you would give fitting words, Lord, um, through me as your vessel, by your grace, God, um, that you would minister to each lady tonight, because I know that's what you want to do, Lord, because your word is how you communicate to us. So thank you, God. We love you. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, I am going to read bits of this story, but I'm not going to read the entire chapter because it's so long and you would just hear me drearing on and on. Um, but I will read portions of the scripture as we move along in the study. But um, I thought we'd kind of give an overview of the entire story and the rundown of like the characters, the plot, the context. I mean, I was like reading the story as I've read it before, but I every time I reread it, I was hanging on the edge of my seat. And then that happened, and then that happened, right? It was so exciting. But um, the, the context of the story of Abigail, of course, takes place um, in 1 Samuel chapter 25. And we're titling this message, The Power of Encouragement, is the title. So a little overview on the story. If you already read it, this is kind of a review session. Um, but the first, first person we actually see in the story, the first marker in 1 Samuel 25, is actually that the prophet Samuel, whom the book is named after, dies, and all of Israel laments. So the first character we're introduced to is the prophet Samuel. Um, and you kind of get this notion, like um, last year when the Queen of England died, like all of England, all of the world was lamenting for the Queen of England. And that's kind of what was happening in that same idea, right? There, the whole nation of Israel was just burdened and saddened over Samuel's death. Um, and we see that they're lamenting here, right? So the first character is Samuel. 
Okay. The second character is a wealthy man named Nabal, right? Nabal. And his name means fool. And I couldn't help but wonder and listen to all the commentaries from other um, Bible teachers say the same thing, which is like, who named him? Was that like a given name? Like, was that something like everybody called him fool? Or was that like his dad and mom named him like fool? Like they were like, they knew like where he was going in life at his birth. I don't know. We don't know that. But we just know his name was Nabal and it means fool. Um, Really interesting observation. It describes Nabal as wicked, wicked, right? Um, and the word that is described as wicked when you see the character of Nabal is the word ra'ah in the Hebrew. And it's actually the same word to describe the wicked men of Genesis 6 before the flood. So that kind of gives you a picture of how wicked this man was. It's like pre-flood sinner, like just really like far gone wicked. And I can't even imagine, imagine what it must have been like to live with him as his wife, right? Um, he was also really interesting, a descendant of Caleb. That's a really interesting um, point to make and that it notes that because Caleb and Joshua were the only two people above 30 who got into the promised land because they had so much faith, right? Um, and God allowed them into the promised land. So the, these were encouraging men of faith. And they're like, his, his descendant, right? Caleb's descendant is Nabal. So you're like, what happened with your like, like a beautiful genealogy of faith, right? Um, so somewhere down the line, right? Caleb became a wicked man. So um, the third character we see in the story is his wife, Abigail, Nabal's wife. And her name means joy of my father, right? And I bet she brought her earthly dad so much joy. But as you read through the story, you see that she brings her heavenly father so much joy. So joy of my father, and I put it with a capital F. <laughs> um, the Bible says that she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. What a great description. I was like, wow. <laughs> Um, and we know that she was unequally yoked. Her husband, right, was wicked, and um, she was a godly woman, and they were unequally yoked. So we don't know how they got together, if it was an arranged marriage or what, you know, happened down the line and how he became wicked, but they were unequally yoked. So the fourth character we see in the story is actually David, and these are just the main characters. I'm not going to go over every single character because there's a lot in the story. But we see David was in the wilderness with his army, and he is on the run from the current king who he's going to take over, and it's Saul, right? So he's on the run from Saul, and he's waiting on God's promise to him to be fulfilled, that David would become king. So um, him and his men protected all of Nabal's sheep and belongings while they were being sheared in the wilderness. So um, David's protection was kind of described here as it was very caring, it was protective, it was pleasant and comforting toward Nabal and his belongings. And I just love like that picture that David still had a shepherd heart, right? Like he saw those little sheep and like that's that was him, right? The shepherd boy, like he still had that in him and he was like, caring and protecting. He couldn't stop that part of him, his heart, right? He was caring for the sheep. So um, in the story, because David protected Nabal's sheep, 
he goes ahead and politely asks Nabal and reminds him of the tradition of generosity surrounding the feast harvest. So this, is, this wouldn't be anything peculiar to do. So he wasn't doing anything out of the norm. And um, if you read the story, David doesn't ask Nabal for any specific amount, right? He's just leaves the generosity to Nabal and says like, here's the tradition. Um, I'm letting you remi remember this tradition. I took care of your sheep. Um, and he's not like sending Nabal some itemized receipt of every hour. They, they guarded security for the sheep, right? So he's just kind of leaving it up to him. Um, so that takes us right now back to the first character and we go back to Nabal. What does Nabal say? Obviously we know um, he says, no, I'm not going to help you, right? Um, and not only does he say, I'm not going to help you, but he actually pretends not to know David, which everyone in Israel at that time would have known who David was. And he adds insult to injury by calling him a runaway servant, right? So he's just like pouring salt on David's wound, right? So that takes us back to David. And David is in quite the predicament. And he says in 1 Samuel 25, verse 13, every man gird on his sword. <laughs> that is not a line you want to hear from David and his like ragtag renegade army, okay? Um, they mean business, right? They're small, they were small in number, but they were like mighty warriors. So um, he actually had every intention, if you read on, to kill Abigail and their entire household and Nabal. So he was like really mad, really upset, right? So this brings us back to Abigail. Um, and we see that Abigail was actually not there, not present, when um, David's men asked them for food. And one of the young men of Nabal's household came to Abigail when she got there and told her the situation. She, they told her, David's men came, asked for food, Nabal said no, and we are all going to die. <laughs> right? Um, but... I want you all to remember, I think like the first half of the week, I just was like in awe of this woman, Abigail. And I think I was in awe, obviously, because she's a godly woman and she's profound and she, she responded in such a profound way. But um, we want to remember as we read this story that Abigail is a sinner, okay? And that's an important backdrop because that makes her very common and it makes the story more profound, right? We're not like condemning her in any way, but we're remembering, right? Like the thing that was so special about Abigail was God in her, God doing this through her. And that's what makes the story so special because it's really easy for me, for all of us to read these stories of like heroes of faith and think, I could never do such a thing. Like I am so bad in like pressure situations that I wouldn't know what to say. I probably would have just cried and called my mom. <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> right? Um, but that's what makes it so special is that Abigail was a sinner like you and I, right? She had a need of a savior like you and I, but she responded this way because of her depending on the Lord in a very horrific situation. So here's her response, and I'm going to read this. And this is her response in 1 Samuel 25, 18. It says, Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, 
five sias of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 cakes of figs, and loaded them on donkeys. So we're going to pause there, and we'll continue reading that in just a second. But I just think it's amazing that she had, like, service for 400 ready to go. Like, like I'm, like, planning out, like, meals, like, so far in advance for my family of, like, four, right? <laughs> but uh, you're just thinking about all of these things and she was just ready in a moment's notice and knew exactly what to do so um, she lays out all the food she goes she saddles the donkeys lays out all the food before king david when she goes to greet him um, and speaks to him so um, we're going to read if you want to kind of turn over to first samuel 25 23 to 31 and i want to read to you what she says okay this is like the crux of the whole story and the message tonight so starting in verse 23 it's a bit long but i'm going to read through it all it says now when abigail saw david she dismounted quickly from the donkey fell on her face before david and bowed down to the ground so she fell at his feet and said on me O lord my lord on me let this iniquity be and please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant please let not my lord regard this scoundrel nabal for as his name is so is he nabal is his name and folly is with him but I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has not held back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek harm from my Lord be as Nabal. And now, this, this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and your ev and evil is not found in your in you throughout your days. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life, but the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel that this will be no grief to you nor offense of heart to my Lord either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Wow, right? What an amazing story. Um, so all this happens, and then she says all this stuff to David. She gives him all the food, and then David's like wrath is completely mitigated. He changes his answer. He's like, okay, I'm not going to attack your household. Um, and then Abigail goes back to her wicked husband, he has a stroke of some sort, heart attack, dies. David proposes to her, and then she's now David's wife. Wow. Let's go home. That was, like, incredible. That is the whole Bible study wrapped up in that scripture, right? Um, what an amazing story. But as I was reading, right, this passage we just read out loud, right, like how beautiful it was of how encouraging she was. So I had to ask myself that question, right, like how 
do we remind others around us the same way, practically, of God's promises? Because that's what she did. And if you, if you didn't remember, right, this was in bonus question number three, okay? <laughs> um, how do we respond like Abigail um, where everything is falling apart, right? And that happens from time to time. It feels like everything's unraveling. My heart's going bonkers. There's a lot going on, right? Um, how do I respond to that situation? And how do we become encouragers to a, a discouraged world around us? So to answer that question, that takes us to our three main points for tonight. And the way we become encouragers is one, to know the word, okay? The second point tonight is to do the word. And the third point tonight is going to be to share the word. So let's start. So Abigail was able to be an encourager because she knew God's word. She knew the word, right? Um, in verses 28 to 30, she shares three specific promises that the Lord gave to David. She knew that, right? Verse 29 says, the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, right? She's talking about, like, she may not even realize what she was saying, but she was talking about how, right, the Messiah is going to come through the lineage of David, right, through the line of David. So she's talking about that enduring house. Um, 1 Samuel 16, we see that Samuel anoints David to be king when he was a, a boy, right? Um, and scripture always confirms scripture. My pastor in California would always say that the best Bible commentary is other Bible commentary verses, right? Like other verses, the Bible makes the best commentary. Um, but I thought it would be helpful and practical to show you in case you'd never used it or you just wondered why it was there. Okay, this is my Bible. Okay, I love my Bible. This is one I had since I got saved. I got it as a, a gift from the person who shared the gospel with me. And in the middle, you have this like column right here. Okay, and that's what the Bible calls cross-reference. And there's like the verse you're looking up, the number you're looking up, and then it tells you all the other places in the Bible it talks about that topic. So if you weren't sure what a cross-reference was, that's exactly it. And it's really amazing because when you're studying God's Word, you have those types of Bible tools in some of the Bibles, and it tells you like, oh, there are other places. So here's the Bible cross-references that describe, right, all the other places that talk about this particular promise that Abigail is telling and reminding David of. So you don't have to write all these down, and I can give them to you later also, but 2 Samuel 7, 11 through 16, 1 Kings 9, 5, 1 Chronicles 17, 10, and 25, 1 Samuel 18, 17, 24, 11, and Psalm 7, 3. So these are all the places, right, that we see the same verse, right, being verified. So Abigail, right, knew God's word. She knew the promise God had made to the nation of Israel. Um, and I imagine that Israel was in a lot of turmoil during that time, right? Saul knew he was on his way out because Samuel had told him that through God. And David knew he was on his way in, but he didn't know when, right? He was being pursued by Saul. And it was just really like a lot of unrest during that time. The second promise from God to Israel that 
Abigail knows and reminds David of also in verse 29. She says, the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from a pocket of a sling. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) David and Goliath, right? She's like, I know what happened. I know what the Lord did through you with that story, right? She knew God's word. She knew God's promises. Um, And I love that she remembered that. And it says in that in that story of David and Goliath, it says that David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead. So she knew that story of 1 Samuel 17, 49, right? And the third promise she reminds him of is uh, verse 30. And it's set in speaking about David, it says that God has appointed you ruler over Israel. And we see that also verified in 1 Samuel 13 and Uh, verse 14, and also in 1 Samuel 15, verse 28. So those are, again, reminders when God told Saul, like, I have someone else I'm anointing, and we know that that was David. So she was very in tune with God's word. So the first and most obvious way that we become encouragers of God's promise is to know the promises, right? How do we know the promises? Isaiah chapter 28 Verses 10 to 13 says that we need to learn it line upon line and precept upon precept, here little and there little, okay? That doesn't mean you get a little of God's word. That just means like you grow in it little by little as you faithfully take God's word in and listen to it. So the first and most important way, the greatest way we can encourage those around us is to have a daily devotional life right? And even if you do have a daily devotional life, maybe you've gotten off track. Maybe you just get overwhelmed by a new schedule, a new season, right? And all these things that can easily get pushed out, right? Like it's always the one where our our devotional time gets pushed out. And the best way we can encourage people, I know Jill is always exhorting us on this. Where's Jill? Jill. Oh, there you are. (laughs) Jill. Um, Jill's always so beautifully exhorting us on this where, you know, like she like sits before the Lord and there's always a person that day that she gets to share that with. And God is so faithful to do that. Right. But we can't get God's word to give to someone else if we're not sitting at his feet. Right. And sometimes this doesn't look like it, it's just this long, like uh, John always like makes fun of me. He's like, are you going to wear your long sweater during your quiet time and sip a pumpkin spice latte and have like four highlighters? And I'm like, I don't even like pumpkin spice lattes. Okay. Um, but <laughs> sometimes it doesn't look like that. Sometimes like I'm reading the one year Bible and I'm like, I just didn't wake up on time. Okay. But I'm going to read my Psalm. I'm going to meditate on it and pray through it and ask God to help me. Right. I got like a short time. And sometimes it does like look longer like Noah's busy making a Lego house and he gives me 30 minutes and I get to have an extended time with the Lord but the goal is to do it right to sit at his feet to receive directly from God is the most powerful way we can encourage a lost world around us right Um, The second is to just be faithful, right? Um, To go to church, to go to Bible study. And that's not because we want attendance, but it's because God's word is so powerful because he wants to minister to you. Um, I always think about like the world is never scaling back on giving me messages. They're never thinning out on giving me messages. Not only they're not thinning out, but they're going to get more aggressive, right? So I need a lot of God's word (laughs) to be coming into me, to be pouring into me that I know how to fight, right? 
I think about Pilgrim's Progress, right? The book from John Bunyan and Christian Pilgrim. Like, he can't go to war without his sword, right? He can't, you can't go to battle. Like, you would never send an army into battle without, like, any sword or any weapon, right? And God's word is our weapon, right? Just like Jesus, right? When he was being attacked um, by the enemy in Matthew chapter 4, every time he said, it is written, it is written. He went to the word. And that's our power, right, of encouragement, not only to our own discouragement, but to all those around us, right? Um, we also communicate with God in prayer. That's our strength, right? Uh, memorizing verses. I love how Val always says, like, personalize them, right? Put your own um, name into them, right? Like, pray them back to God. And those are really powerful ways that we can encourage others in prayer, right? It doesn't have to just be in words to them, but encourage others in prayer. Um, and I love how she knew the word, going back to Abigail, because... That must have been the most powerful shield of faith she had being married to a very, very wicked husband. Um, Debbie called it the most toxic relationship we've ever seen, and I like that. <laughs> um, so none of us are void of trials, right? Um, we need to go to battle knowing God's word. So the second point of how we become encouragers, just like Abigail, is doing the word, doing the word doing the word. So there was action when she showed up. She didn't just show up and say like, oh, like, I'm really sorry. My husband was really messed up to you, right? Like, thank you for being nice, but you probably want to not make this decision, right? She didn't tiptoe and just show up with words or speech, but she had action, right? She was a doer of God's words. James 1 verse 22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves, right? So she shares her heart, right? She saddled that donkey we already read with all that stuff. I like how she had like four, um, it said like sheep like marinated and ready to like be roasted. I was like, that's really impressive, you know? Um, and uh, thinking about like being ready to take action. And going back to this concept of prayer that we just talked about, a lot of times uh, knowing what to do and being ready to take action is what you do beforehand, right? So it's like, I know when I have that morning time of devotions, that is preparing me for what I don't know is coming in the day, right? I know when I'm going into work and I'm praying, right? And I take that minute and our flesh fights it. We want to just sit in our emotions and our thoughts and it's so much more comfortable and easier to just scroll through my emails and make sure I'm on top of stuff and respond to my students and they like it when I respond quickly, right? But have I taken time to pray to the Lord before I did any of those things, right? Um, if you look at the book of Nehemiah, uh, can we turn the air on? I think a lot of us are fanning. <laughs> Thank you. So if you look at the big book of Nehemiah, we've, uh, many of us have heard before that in Nehemiah chapter 2, he prays this very short prayer. The king is asking him, like, what's wrong? Um, and some people call it the Nehemiah popcorn prayer, if you've ever heard of that term, right? Like, the king asked him what's wrong, and it says that he prayed to the Lord in that short, like, pause, and he answered, right? And that's really good. We should all do that, right? We seek the Lord first, even in that split-second decision. But what we don't realize is if you go back to Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4, it says that he was consistently fasting and praying about that matter. 
right? So everything he did before, it wasn't some split-second decision he made. His heart was being prepared for that moment, right? The choices you make in the morning is preparing your heart for the battle of the day, right? Um, and again, it's not condemning if you miss, but just like pause and do what you can. Like tell, I tell the Lord, Lord, I dropped the ball this morning. I really could have handled my time better. I wish I like took more time in your word and now I have to go to work. Could you give me a verse to meditate on as I walk into work? Can you help me through the day, right? Those things. Um, so just pausing and reflecting to the Lord. Um, I also think doing the word as being an example to those around us is the most encouraging thing we can do. And of course, we know we can only do that by his grace and his Holy Spirit. Um, in Exodus chapter 18, we see the story of Moses um, and who's getting visited by his father-in-law named Jethro. And Jethro comes along and he says, Moses, um, you're overwhelming yourself trying to answer all these questions by yourself. You got to like get a godly team together to help you and make a way for this to like work a little better. You're going to burn out, right? That's what his father-in-law tells him. And the advice Jethro gives to Moses at the end is he says four things, okay? Moses, your calling as a leader is to pray for the people, to intercede for the, the people and their problems, right? To teach the word, what does the word say, right? And then last, be an example. Walk it out by an example. And I think that's what we're all called to in all of our spheres of influence, right? Wherever you work, um, whether you don't work and you're at home, right? Like with our children, whatever the situation is of your calling, right? Those are the things that we need to do to be an ambassador, to be encouragers of the promises of God when we can't say something, right? We are praying for the people. We're interceding for the people. We are telling them the word when they ask us, right? What does the Bible say about this, right? Be ready. And to be an example, to walk that out. So um, we know that Abigail knew the word. She did the word, right? Um, and then last, we're going to look at how she shared the word. So she was an encourager. Um, if you're thinking about encouragement, okay, I like this word. I looked up the word encouragement in the Bible, and the Hebrew word is the same word we get for the Holy Spirit, paraclete, okay? And that means to come alongside, to come alongside. So essentially, like, just the same way the Holy Spirit, right, um, points us to Jesus, and Jesus points us to the Father, right? Our encouragements, our true encouragements in the Lord point others back to Jesus. That's what they're supposed to do. So to come alongside, to come near, to console, to comfort, and to refresh, right? How much we need refreshment, right? To come alongside others. David needed reminding of God's promise. So just so you get a timeline, he was anointed to be king. They say somewhere around 10 to 15 years of age. He was a boy, okay? Um, he became king at age 30, Okay, so there was a large gap of time where he was waiting to become king. So sometimes it's just the waiting for God's promise to be fulfilled that's really hard, right? We're all nodding. Waiting is hard. It's not easy. We need encouragement. And he was probably just really tired from running from Saul, right? Like he was being chased and he's like, I just want a break. I'm tired, right? 
Um, so waiting is hard, and the Bible tells us in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 3, it says that though it feels slow, wait for it, it will surely come, it will not delay, right? Uh, so it may feel slow, but it will come. God's promise does not delay. It's not a second too late. And David was just feeling weary and needed that encouragement, that reminder of what God had promised him. Um, you know, sometimes people just feel like life is hard. Anyone ever feel like that? Just me, right? <laughs> life can be hard, right? It's not all roses and um, it's challenging. We live in a fallen world, so we get discouraged. And I think about Charles Spurgeon, right? Um, he suffered from like depression, right? He was so discouraged all the time. It says that a year into his marriage, he was 22 and he, before he even like really got into the ministry, he wanted to quit. Like he was one year into the whole thing. Um, so he, uh, he was also known that after every sermon, I think John shared this a couple of weeks ago, that he would cry in his wife's lap because he was so discouraged, right? He was so discouraged. So um, sometimes we just need encouragement in God's promises, right? And um, I have a sense that since he finished well in the ministry, that Susanna Spurgeon was quite the encouraging lady. Um, I think Jill got me two of her books, and I read through some of it today. And all of her words were very encouraging because they were all references to the Word of God, right? So um, encouragement, right, is important. But um, something we want to distinguish is how encouragement is different than flattery. Okay, this is really important. I want to read you um, what encouragement is and what flattery is. We already learned encouragement is the same word, paraclete, right? To comfort, to refresh, to come alongside, right? It points us back to the Lord. Um, but flattery, the definition, I'm going to read it in Webster's Dictionary, says um, it is excessive and insincere praise, especially to further our own interests. So that is the difference, right? When we flatter, right, we say nice things to people, and typically it's rooted in ourselves. Like, I want you to like me. I want you um, to give me that job that you can give me, right? I want you to um, do this task for me, right? So um, flattery is very different than encouragement. So we need to be encouraging, pointing people back to the Lord in his word, um, not flattering because that is rooted in self. Um, I, like, I like the observation here that she's also not afraid, right? Like she didn't know how David was going to react when she showed up. Um, I like that she goes without a spirit of fear um, and she's bold, right? Um, it's uh, kind of like in our homework, we did that comparison to Abigail and Esther. And I saw that like parallel at this point that she's not fearful, just like how Esther said, um, if I perish, I perish, right? She went and advocated and that's what she did. So, um, how do we encourage, right? Um, we know that we go to the word, encourage and know the word, um, but we can also earnestly ask God for this gift, right? Um, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, to eagerly desire the gifts. We can ask God for the gift of encouragement. And actually, um, really interesting is that the Bible uses the same word in that verse of encouragement and exhortation. Okay, so that same word. So sometimes we think that encouragement is only saying nice things to people. 
and it can be. But sometimes it's also like giving them a loving exhortation. It's the same word. Sometimes it's having to tell them the hard thing with a heart of God and a heart of brokenness and a heart of love because you love the person so much you want to see them do well in the Lord, right? Um, and you always want to bathe that in prayer and make sure that it's not of you, that it's of the Lord. But um, encouragement isn't always just saying nice things, right? Sometimes it can mean, right, exhorting someone that you love. Um, we also see a great example parallel to Abigail in the New Testament. We see Barnabas, right? His name actually was Joseph, but the disciples called him Barnabas, which meant sons of encouragement, son of encouragement. Um, I want to be a Barnabas, right? A son of encouragement, a daughter of encouragement. Um, but it says of Barnabas that through the encouragement of Barnabas, the apostle Paul was first accepted by the church in Jerusalem. So that's in Acts 9.27. And through his encouragement also, Mark was given a second chance after a terrible failure, right? Also in Acts 13.13. 13. So if we're looking at encouragement, right, um, we also want to make sure we know what not to do. And we can really look at this if we go back to David's first wife, um, Michael, right? Um, in 2 Samuel 6, right, when David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem, um, it says that she had a bitter heart toward him. And she says, right, mockingly, right, she says, how glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maidservants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So she ridicules him, right? Um, instead of encouraging him in his promises, she ridicules him. Proverbs 18, 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, right? We must abstain as women from saying our peace, right? Um, there'll be something that happens and I'm like, Lord, help me not say anything. Lord, help me not saying anything. And then the first chance I get, <laughs> I didn't want to say it, right? I was like, it felt so good for a split second. And then you have major regrets after that. Then you're like, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said that, right? Um, but yes, Proverbs 14.1 says, A wise woman builds up her house and a foolish woman tears it down. And it's interesting because also in this same story, we see that at the end of it, it says that Saul gave Michael away to another man. Um, and it sure didn't seem like she went fighting, like she was so bitter toward him, right? The Bible says she was bitter. So we want to make sure that we don't do that and we do encourage. So as we bring this all together, okay, some points of thought is that encouragement is to come alongside those around us. So it's just as simple as just coming alongside those around us in words and in deed, right? Pointing them back to Christ. Encouragement is not flattery or ever for self-gain. Abigail encouraged David by knowing God's word, by doing God's word, and by sharing his word. We can ask God for help to be encouragers. And last, encouragement is necessary to so many waiting, sad, in despair, or just discouraged, right? All of us get discouraged. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for 
all the things that you helped us to learn about Abigail. I pray that we would continue to learn these things in our group time from one another, God. I pray that you would be glorified and magnified in all that we do tonight. We thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Oh, my goodness. The teachings are always so good that... Um I'm a little panicked trying to go, Ugh, what am I going to write, trying to keep up. and, But let's see if I can do this. Um, know the word, do the word, share the word. Abigail shared specific promises about David. Abigail knew God's promises. Abigail knew the story of David. Abigail knew he was appointed to be ruler over Israel. So know the promises. Have a quiet time. Be faithful. Be ready for battle. Be in prayer. Be an ambassador. Be ready. Be an example. And sometimes... People just need to be encouraged. And I loved how Tamar was talking about what do you do in a uh, kind of a crisis situation. And uh, I'm a very uh, protected, kind of structured person. It's, I try very hard not to allow myself to get into uh, crisis situations. I'm really afraid of that. Um, but this one particular time, uh, it was 2015, and I don't know if y'all, whoever was here, in 2015 we had ridiculous amounts of rain. And my uh, son-in-law and my daughter got married on an outdoor wedding in East Texas, and it did have cover, and the inside was already decorated for the reception, so we had to keep it outside. And so they literally got they exchanged vows and you can't hear a word of it because there was so much rain coming down and the pastor was finally able to get one little blurb in. I think we could hear the I do's. And then when we all kind of left this place in East Texas, we had to drive uh, 120 miles to get back to my house with all of my husband's family. And uh, there was a tornado in East Texas and we missed it by 20 minutes. And we were driving home and we could see overturned cars with the headlights still on and downed power lines. We finally get back to our, after all this traffic and get back to the house, it's 1, 1.30 in the morning, and I had 14 people staying at the house. Well, then they finally left, and they're really easy because it's Rob's side of the family, and you know how easygoing he is. So they finally left. Well, then Rob had to go to China for work, and um, I kind of like it now when, when, when Rob leaves because it's like I can get a date with the Lord, you know, just having that really nice time with, with God, but it wasn't to be because it was raining, and uh, my, the rain came down on the roof, and it gathered up in the chimney, and it went, the water went over the flashing and came into the attic and then traveled along all those two-by-fours all the way into my bedroom. And at that moment, there was this very loud thundering wind, and it set off all the alarms in the house. So I got up with a start. It was about 3 or 4 in the morning. I'm in my pajamas, and all of a sudden, I was just like this in the middle of the room, and all of a sudden, drop, drop, <laughs> drop. And uh, I, of course, did the first thing, which was not pray, but call my husband, uh, knowing that it was probably five in the evening in China. And uh, he really couldn't offer me a lot of help. <laughs> so um, so um, you, you all know I live near the lake, and I walk down to the lake every single morning, pretty much almost every day of the year. And I did my morning walk down to the lake, very much feeling sorry for myself, very, very sad that I was all by myself. It was no longer a date with the Lord. <laughs> and um, there was a Hispanic man, and he said, I was going to walk the trail too, and it, the water is up to my chest. And I looked like, oh my, we couldn't walk on our normal trail because the, the, the lake was that full. And I just about burst into tears, and I said, 
and my roof is leaking. And he goes, hey, I have a nephew that will fix that. <laughs> so I'm, I, here it is, a perfect stranger, probably the worst thing a woman should ever do. And I'm like, um, yeah, could he come over tomorrow and come fix my roof? It was really kind of, and so of course I had my husband on the phone in China, and I'm like, this is Solomon. He says he's going to fix my roof, and he's going to, and we, I made him take pictures. It was really quite the thing. My roof managed to stay non-leaking for one more year, but um, that was my story, and I'm going to stick with it. So uh, Valerie's over here in this little corner, and that's me, and then um, Kim's over here, uh, with the circle already made, and then uh, let's see, Jill's over here, and Tamar, you're like right in here somewhere, right? <laughs> okay. Oh, if you don't know where to go, come to ask Kim. <laughs>